0: We'll mm-hmm. episode 139 of some like it scott i'm your host scott harvey and i'm joined as always by my co-host scott shelton and today on the podcast we'll be recapping the madness that was the 2021 academy awards but before we do that scott how are you
1: doing well scott i mean you say madness uh and i think i think that anyone who watched the ceremony would agree with that sentiment but i will say yeah. like i feel like in the first hour hour and a half not that it was boring but it felt like it was gonna go very according to plan (laughs) and uh somebody had some twists and turns in there for us at the end but i'm doing well it is uh, i was talking to you about this before we started recording but this is my last podcast in boston which is kind of crazy uh crazy to think about the podcast started uh, in winston-salem where you're at and in boston where i'm at and one of us is finally moving (laughs)
0: Hey, I don't live in Winston-Salem. I live in Kernersville, okay? K Vegas, get it right. Goes but well yeah. with, Ch-
1: with Chatta Vegas as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, you just have to do that for a lot of cities. Just throw a Vegas on the end yeah. there. But no, you're right New about York, the New uh, York
1: Vegas is where I'm moving to, yeah.
0: Yeah, you're right about the uh the awards Scott. Uh, it did things were going to play in at, at first, but I think that's also because we did, maybe didn't have le- we had less of the important categories um early on and so Uh, You know, we were kind of just biding our time until we got to the big moments. And, well, they certainly uh, they certainly delivered, though, not not necessarily in the way that we um, expected. But let's just get to it, Scott. Um, And, you know, Uh normally we would start uh, with Best Picture at the end of the show. We'd start at the end of the show. Um, But Best Picture wasn't at the end of the show this year uh, because the Oscars or uh, perhaps more accurately, Steven Soderbergh, who directed the Oscars, decided he was going to shake things up a little bit with the format of the awards this year um, in a couple of different ways. Um, And in fact, uh, Best Picture was the Anti-Penultimate Award um, and uh, Best Actress and Actor uh, were saved for the last two um and you know I, I think that's probably the place to start scott again why not normally we would start with best picture but we might as well start with the bombshell that the oscars chose to end on and that has been on everyone's mind i think for since it happened last night uh best actor um you know I, I, steven soderbergh obviously building things up uh to this big moment at the end of the show when Shadwick boseman um, was expected to win a posthumous Academy Award for his performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for best and actor. And I will
1: raise, I will raise my hand and say I think that it was the most locked award when I, when I said it last week. I think I actually probably said Daniel Kaluuya was. The yeah, most I was going to say think but... Kaluuya
0: was the most locked, but. Yeah. um But yeah, so, and again, they've structured this whole thing. So to sort of build up to this moment, Joaquin Phoenix comes out, right? And again, that's sort of a a format change there that we had the best actor from last year announcing best actor again, uh, where normally we would have the best actress doing best actor, best actor doing best actress. Um, As soon
1: as the Joker came out on stage, we should have known something was wrong.
0: Yeah. Uh, And indeed, Anthony Hopkins was declared the winner of best actor and was not present. And everyone knew he would not be present. Um, for the Academy Awards he is at his home in Wales um, and so not only did Chadwick Bozeman not win the award as everyone was expecting and a lot of people were hoping that we'd get this nice emotional note um, but it was just a complete whimper uh, altogether. with Anthony Hopkins not being there uh, and basically Joaquin Phoenix announced the award, award and said we'll, we'll be accepting this for Anthony Hopkins then they cut to Questlove for like a 10 second Goodbye. Thanks for watching. And the Oscars just ended. It was one of the more uh, anticlimactic endings probably in award show history. Uh, but Scott, what are your thoughts on how best Actor specifically went down with uh, with Anthony Hopkins pulling what was it, it was an upset for sure. I mean, you know, I think we did think if somebody was to beat Chadwick Boseman, it would probably be him. Uh, but I did not think I don't think we felt that anyone would beat Chadwick Boseman. But, it happened i don't know if you have any thoughts on why it happened uh or you know just sort of what are your feelings about um this big moment that you know has been the, the subject of a lot of the discussion uh after last night's ceremony
1: yeah i mean i was shook i think to say the least when it happened i was absolutely floored uh, we were we were watching it sort of virtually together with a bunch of other people and i was like one of the three or two or three people who had It like live on cable, I guess, which is about like a minute and a half ahead of of the stream that we were watching. And I was just like, just totally like, I don't know, just completely phased uh, during like when it happened. Hopefully no one was looking at my little corner of the screen because I don't think I had my facial reactions very much. But as I've had, you know, 24 hours almost now to sort of process it, I I guess I want to start by saying that like Anthony Hopkins gave an absolutely incredible performance in the father yes, and is a hundred percent worthy of winning this award. I just feel like I have to say that first because understandably, I even think to an extent, a lot of the conversation is centered around the fact that a lot of people and understandably so feel like Chadwick Boseman was snubbed and that they're, you know, the Oscars continue their trend of not respecting black lead actors um, for their roles and performances over time. You know, I don't know how much I have to add to that conversation as a whole, but I want to say that it, it wasn't, you know, in a you know, it's not like Anthony Hopkins here gave, you know, a phone-it-in performance and only got nominated because he's white, 83 years old, and a, le- and a legacy actor. He may be those things, but he also gave an incredible performance overall. And so with, with that having been said, I think it was like a pretty wild way. And unfortunately, the design of the show, which I think is a lot of what you're alluding to as well, the design of the show is such that it just amplified how, I don't know, caustic the moment felt after the fact where you have, not only do you have this big emotional letdown of not getting what you expected and what was going to be an incredibly emotional moment, but the lead into it with the in memoriam being like feeling very abbreviated for the most part and feeling very rushed through, even if that's how it always was going to be, it, it felt rushed through. It didn't really feel like, you know, the people that we lost this year you know, Chadwick Boseman among them, but maybe arguably foremost. I mean, there are plenty of other incredibly famous and loved actors and actresses and producers, et cetera, that died this year. I feel like it had been rushed through. The show had been reshuffled and redesigned to end on this particular award uh, with the presumption, I can only assume, that Chadwick Boseman was going to win the award. And we were going to end with, you know, his widow giving the acceptance speech that she's given at many other award shows, pretty much all of them except for the BAFTAs the week before. And it was a huge emotional letdown like it absolutely was. Um, It's unfortunate that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I've seen most of Anthony Hopkins work. But for what I have seen, one of one of if not his best performance of his career be overshadowed by that. But it's also, you know, incredibly, I don't know, disorienting to have that happen at the award show, even if I don't disagree that Anthony Hopkins was a better performance this year than Chadwick Boseman. I just found it to be really consternating Kind of struggle to wrap my head around, to be honest, because I mean, it's not like really there's many years where the best performance of the year gets the Oscar anyway. So, what does it even matter? And at that point, you might as well give it to something to honor someone's legacy, their career, you know, their early passing. I don't have a problem with that, Um, but yeah, it was just really disorienting. The moment I don't have a problem with it, you know, at, at the very fundamental level of who won the award, but I understand people being upset or emotionally again kind of i'm I keep gravitating towards the word disoriented because that's kind of what i felt but emotionally raw about that overall especially within the show ending abruptly like you said uh it's not like you had best actress or even and best picture or just best picture after it to sort of calm calm the nerves which i think actually would have made a big difference i mean people still would be talking about it. i'm not saying no one would be talking about it but it felt it's again it just amplified so much by the circumstances surrounding it
0: yeah no i when i when this first happened i thought i need the, my first thought was like oh man there are going to be some really bad takes out there about this um and i'm sure there are uh but fortunately i don't seem to have come across a lot of them and a lot of people seem to be having a very grounded take on this which uh, i think is similar to what you were uh saying scott that you know anthony hopkins gave a, a wonderful performance in uh the father you could certainly make a great argument that it was the best performance in this category and uh, you know i'm i'm certainly not gonna um disagree with you i think you were spoiled for choice really with uh with this four year, of the yeah, five here, year uh in this category um but you know, it, on the one hand, it's a disservice to Anthony Hopkins because now you know his win is going to be overshadowed by the circumstances. But of course, it's also a disservice to Chadwick Bozeman and to the you know thousands and millions, even of fans who you know were expecting this moment even more so because how they decided to uh, structure the show, um, and instead of uh, you know getting this moment where we got to celebrate him. Um, because, again, uh, you know, another factor, the in-memoriam, right, took place just shortly before this. And they really just sped through everyone, uh, probably due to some of the time constraints on the broadcast. Um, and probably but, due because
1: there are so many people that died this year.
0: Yeah, that, that as well. But Chadwick Bozeman, you know, because of that, didn't really get his moment in, in memoriam. But, you know, I think at that point we felt like, oh, it's OK, because he's going to get his moment during the ceremony. And that's not really what happened. So it was. It was an emotional letdown, for sure, for all of the people who were really preparing for that moment Um, and, you know, for Chadwick Boseman's family, probably, who were expecting uh, this moment as well. I think just they, they really dropped the ball, particularly with deciding to put this at the end uh you know for a number of reasons i think but this being a a huge one of it like i think if if they had put best actor in its normal slot like either right before best picture like immediately before best picture or before best actress um then uh you know i I think we wouldn't it probably wouldn't have stung quite as much again it it was the fact that they left it for the end they you know it seemed like they wanted to leave us with this very particular note and they didn't do that um in the sense that they didn't leave us with a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, um, and when it comes at the end, right, that and it just abruptly ends after that. Like you know, there's nothing you could really do except just sit there and and think about that, right? Like you you're left to sit with what you just immediately witnessed, which is this sort of shocking moment that yeah, uh, again, did a disservice, I think, to most people involved. Um, so I think. Uh, it was certainly a poor choice by Steven Soderbergh and all the people behind the scenes uh, with the Oscars to uh, to bank so heavily on uh, Chadwick Bozeman winning this award that um, you know they put it at the end, uh, and you know the the risk certainly did not pay off. Um, but again, all credit to Anthony Hopkins on a brilliant performance. Uh, he seems like a class act. Uh, I I don't have anything bad to say about um uh, you know him or, or or this performance um again if you twist my arm i might have even said it was the better performance um but it just you know for because of the circumstances like you said uh it you know there were it did leave a, a slightly bad taste in your mouth
1: yeah um, and it definitely was uh, you know trouble of their own making for sure because sure. you look you can see what they're doing some might even say it's an inspired decision to shuffle the order to create this emotionally resonant moment but only that way if it works out the way you planned it and unfortunately it didn't work out the way they planned it and you know I think that there's a scenario that they could have constructed with some deeper thought around placing the best actor award after the in memoriam like right after the in memoriam where yeah. you give you know he he's a, his is the last photo in the, in the in the slideshow you go straight into the award you know using the same logic that they used to put it at the end he wins the award you get the emotional moment right after the in memoriam and then you move on you finish up the show on a more you know I'm not going to say Nomadland is an upbeat movie, but like on a more upbeat note than the somber one of the In Memoriam. And I think that that also hedges yourself against something disastrous like this happening at the same yeah. time. Um, but look, hindsight's 2020. I Obviously, it's easy for me to say that now.
0: And I think you hit on another consequence there, Scott, was transitions to where I wanted to go next, which is to talk Ooh. about the movie that did win Best Picture, that being Nomadland. This is something we obviously expected. Um It had... Cleaned up at the other award shows. It won a total of three full Oscars. Best, best
1: it was a full picture. sweep of all the award shows, right? So,
0: yeah, best picture, best director for Chloe Zhao, and best actress in a bit of a surprise for Frances McDormand. Or, you know, just prior to, uh, yeah. to Anthony Hopkins winning, um, McDormand was uh, the the winner. Where you know, I kind of felt like at least going in that she was probably the third favorite after Carrie Mulligan and Viola Davis, um, maybe even the fourth favorite, you know, with Andrew Day in there. But, um, you know, it's it's hard to bet against her with her track record at the Oscars or third Academy Award. But, uh, you know, I, my point is, I, I think Nomadland um, didn't probably get we didn't get the opportunity to appreciate Nomadland like we probably should and would have if um, it had been placed. Uh, at the end of the show, with Best Picture and Best Director, for for that matter, Best Director ended up coming kind of early, middle of the show, um, whereas again, normally that would be um, in the final you know quadrant of the show. Um, and you know, I, I think the result is that you know the film, like I said, uh, a lo- you know, a lot got, a, lo- a lot of its luster got taken away from it, and also Chloe Zhao, right, which should have been a big inspirational moment uh with you know only the second female director to win uh first woman of color to win um and it just felt like it got you know kind of just buried in the middle of the show right it was just kind of right there in the middle with a bunch of other sort of it felt like it was at the beginning to be
1: honest it was the crazy part yeah
0: um and it was disappointing in that regard to not really see her get her due for the tremendous job that she did directing that film and you know again to not see what I felt was absolutely the best film of the year, not just the best film nominated, um, you know, winning best picture. And uh, I think everyone, you know, most people are not talking about that fact, unfortunately. They're talking about what happened at the very end. and Again, that was uh, a choice that uh, Steven Soderbergh and uh, Oscar, Falk chose to make, and uh, it's a choice that, uh, yeah, uh, d- like I said, it didn't pay off, it didn't pay off in multiple ways, and I think this is another way that No Man Land probably um, didn't get the love that maybe it it deserved, and that a, a Best Picture winner would have in another year. Any thoughts on that, Scott?
1: I mean, specifically Best Picture, look, I mean, it's one of the four movies that I said last week that I'd be perfectly happy if they won, it was certainly the favorite to win, and it you know, it didn't. It did. It was not the surprise that that came at the end of the show, like like you've said multiple times. <clears throat> on the Frances McDormand note, I mean, the fact that she won, she won, man, I almost said, "What on earth?" She she won two Oscars in one night. I don't know how many other people have done that before, um, to be really honest. But she won for Best Picture because she is a producer on the film, uh, and she won for Best Actress, which is pretty crazy. I feel like, you know, one one of the things I guess just talking about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for a little bit longer is in that Best Actress race where. You know, I'm not going to say we were overestimating the film's resonance or power among Oscar voters, although I think that retrospectively is clear that, you know, Oscar voters didn't think of highly as the movie as we, you know, at least the performances, which we might have thought that they would have. But, you know, maybe we made our own mistake saying, like, look, like most of the most of the award winners, you know. Like almost all of them, right. And especially the big categories, if the film wasn't nominated for Best Picture, it wasn't when it wasn't winning a major award. Is the truth of the matter there and yes ma Rainey's won two awards and you know the technical categories and ones that you know maybe it's, it's obviously a little bit more aimed towards and was it makeup and costumes i think it won both of them yeah yeah and but it didn't do any damage anywhere else and no other film that wasn't one of the eight best picture nominees didn't do any damage pretty much anywhere either in the main categories and so yeah i mean at, at the end of the day i think you can look back at the ceremony as a whole and see it why it wasn't surprising that Viola Davis maybe didn't win. Obviously, we don't know that beforehand, but you can kind of see the direction or the trend of of the Oscar voters here, which makes you wonder: Did they watch many of the movies besides the Best Picture nominees? Uh, but look, I can't imagine anyone ever accusing Academy voters of not watching all the movies. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, for instance, like worthy winner, kind of just like completely under the radar. I feel like like no one's talking about the fact that she's now won, you know, three Academy Award, three best best actress awards specifically. Yeah. It's Only other i is it who else is, is it katherine hepburn is the only other person who's who's won Catherine three? hepburn
0: has four but i'm not sure if they were all best actors there might have been a supporting in there but okay. yeah, f- yeah four is the is the most total acting oscars won by anyone and that is Catherine
1: hepburn yeah and i know meryl streep's won three as well three. but maybe maybe one of those is also supporting actress but i know i think francis norman has tied the best like the record number of best Actress win, wins which uh you know, she's still got plenty of performances left in her. I'm wondering if she'll be breaking that record in the future. But worthwhile win for sure. Uh, you know, I was on the record last week saying that this felt like a bit of a weaker year for Best Actress relative to past years where it, it felt like it's been an absolute, even though the, you know, the the winners have been locked in before the award show really even started. it's always, like the last few years, really felt like those were very difficult categories to break into. Didn't feel that way this year. And I think that you kind of see that in the nominations, not that they aren't worthy performances, just that you know, I felt like it was lacking something like with real impetus um, behind it, like knockout performances. Um, and so I'm not surprised that France, because it was a really strong performance. I'm not surprised that she won um, there, but yeah, Nomad Land very successful last night, probably traded best cinematography up for best actress at the end of the day. Um, probably and, expect- uh,
0: adapted screenplay, possibly to the father taking that one home in a slight surprise.
1: Yeah, that 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 felt like more of a coin flip and cinematography felt like yeah. more the, like like Nomadland was the favorite but I I hear what you're saying there for sure. Um but I wonder, you know, trade those two awards for a best actress win. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, uh, I, I I don't know either, but um, I'm certainly happy to to see McDormand get it. I think it was a fantastic performance. It yeah. probably also, Joel been, Cohen, just yeah, thoroughly unimp- like,
1: unimpressed with the ceremony. He looked like he, he was like dead eye. Well, he's there, pissed there there. now yeah. that
0: his wife has the same number of Oscars that he does with four. So, uh, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, That's true, because she, she did get, yeah, she technically has household. four because of, yeah, of the Nomad. She language, got the yeah. producing yeah. one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Suck it, Joel. Elsewhere, Scott, in the supporting uh, actor and actress categories, a bit more uh, of what we expected uh, on the supporting actor side. Daniel Kaluuya taking home uh, a win for his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah, a film. Sorry, I thought he won
1: the. I thought he won the award for his speech. He won it. He actually won it for the movie. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh,
0: For his performance in Judas and the Black Messiah, which was the winner of two Academy Awards, the other one being uh, best original song uh, for the song that, uh, her, uh, performed, uh, for the movie. Um, yeah, again, we felt like this would happen, Scott, uh, and, uh, and, and it did, and it was great to see, yeah, you, you alluded to it there, one of the more memorable speeches of the night, uh, the shout out he gave to his mom and dad was something else, um, but yeah, just, just a gratifying moment for someone who, you know, he, he's just, it's, it's crazy to think that, like, he is just at, you know, starting his career, really, like, we, yeah, we really, he's like
1: 32 33.
0: yeah he, he just really broke into the mainstream with get out which was a mere for you know three years ago um, and but the guy already feels like a, you know a movie star a guy who can uh, top a bill can put people in, in seats can bring people to the theater um, and you know it's great to see him uh, you know get an Oscar at this stage of his career because it feels like he's only going to get better from here. Um, so yeah uh, certainly no qualms with that one either.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely not. I and mean, Daniel Clulio, I've ta- been talking about that performance since I watched the film about three months ago now. I forget when it was, when it came out. But I remember watching the film and just being absolutely floored by the whole thing and especially Daniel Cluio's performance. Well-deserved, fantastic speech. I mean, it's like one of the several speeches last night that really felt like it It really did capture the right emotional note in a lot of ways. I mean, the first part of his speech, you know, I think up there with maybe Thomas Vinterberg's speech as well that really felt like, you know, they spoke for a long time and what they had to say d- didn't feel like rambling nonsense that you just kind of wish that they'd get off the stage. That's kind of glib and rude to say, probably, for some of the people who were giving speeches, but like that's just the truth of it. Um, and then, probably the only speech of the night, with the exception of maybe Yu Jun and we'll talk about that in a second, or Yu Yu Jung, sorry, um, that really balanced both the serious and the emotional and the poignant with, again, sort of this like, very comedic aspect uh, at the end when he. I think put things in perspective in a way that I think it's really easy to lose on a night like the Oscars for many different reasons. Um, One for taking, you know, cinema and film too seriously, which I know I'm guilty of a lot of the time. And I think (laughs) if you're being honest, you are too. Um, But also, you know, balancing that, you know, putting that in perspective properly, but also putting it in perspective that like, yeah, like awards may not matter, but at the same time, like we're just like here to celebrate, right? Like we're here to have fun. Um, And the fact that you could that film can, in the same speech, mean so much, but still be fun. I think that's something that is a, It was a really gratifying reminder, and, you know, weird. Weird they didn't start the show with this. Weird that they started with the with original screenplay.
0: Yeah. Again, choices were made. Not many of them. Uh, I understand ultimately, but yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, I guess. But some of these things are are, are real head scratchers. But yeah. certainly not Daniel Kaluuya winning the award is certainly not a, a head-scratcher. Um, and neither was Yunya Jung, uh, who you alluded to there, Scott, winning Minari's only Oscar of the evening for Best Supporting Actress. Um, again, this sort of started to take shape a little bit towards the tail end of awards season, that it felt like she would probably be the winner, though there were certainly still room for upsets. Um, and yeah, you know, as you said, she, she gave a nice uh, speech that uh, had some humor in it, of course, that people were talking about. She was uh, making some comments about Brad Pitt, uh, who had presented the award to her um, beforehand. Again, like, weird choices, right? Like, so he keeps it consistent with supporting actor and actress that, you know, Brad Pitt giving supporting actress, and uh, uh, Laura Dern gave out best supporting actor, uh, but then just randomly decides to mix it up for actor and actress. I don't well, get I mean, it, but anyway.
1: I feel like, the, I don't know, like, Union you Jung was probably just like, just keep it the same i want to talk to brad and then laura dern's like yes i definitely want to have a conversation with daniel clue before i give him the award which is basically what happened when she was leading into yeah doing the award is that a full conversation with them <laughs> while while uh, announcing who was nominated strange
0: yeah but you know a, a great moment for for union Jung. i i can't think of another asian actress that has won an academy award so she might be the first um And so, you know, a big, a big milestone there for sure. Um, And and congratulations to her. Um, It was certainly a great performance. Um, And yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have too much more to add than that. Uh, Like I said, Minari's only Oscar of the evening. Um, Scott, your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I think fitting enough. I think, you know, Minari, you know, I've already, I guess, um, talked about, I mean, on our podcast for Minari, talked about my thoughts. It's not the film. Uh, it wasn't for me what I think it was to a lot of people, but I, th- I certainly think it was well-made, good performances. Um, I probably like Steven Yoon's performance more than Union Jung, but again, supporting actress, I think another weird year um, for it in spite of having been really strong, a really strong category in past years that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just it, it didn't really feel like there was any performance that really stuck out for me over the course of the year. And when you give me the list of nominees... I can't sit here and tell you what I thought were better, you know, better options for them to have picked for that category. Um, but I can't tell you that one really sticks out to me either. So this one was for me or whoever, whoever they ended up picking, I was probably just going to shrug at the end of the day and said, yeah, probably deserved it. Um, and that's exactly what happened on the night that, you know, you Jung yeah. probably deserved it. And for whatever it's worth made up for the snub last year of, um, Jao, I Shuzhen, Yeah. I was yeah, I was about to say Shuzhen Zhao. So I'm glad we, glad you took that for me.
0: Yeah. Um, no, you know, you're I think I think you're right about that, Scott, even though, you know, I might have gone with Maria Bakalova if you twisted my arm again for who I wanted to win. I think uh, I think mm-hmm. there were good choices here. Uh, and Mamma didn't win, most importantly. Um,
1: so, yeah, the, so uh, there, there have been some some Asian actresses who have won Best Supporting Actress uh, before one in 1957, Mayoshi
0: Yumeki. Well, I think I can be forgiven for not knowing that off the top of my head. But yeah. um
1: but go. yeah, there you go.
0: Um, but a- anyway, Minari was a little bit in the minority in the sense that uh, it was a Best Picture nominee that took home only one Academy Award. Uh, most of them were sort of very concentrated with two wins a apiece. Yeah. Um, going down you know, the rest of the, the list, Scott Sound of Metal took home two Oscars for uh, Best Sound and Best Film Editing. Uh, Mank won for Cinematography and Production Design. Um, we mentioned what, The Father. The former
1: of which is certainly an upset.
0: Yes, yes. We mentioned the father winning for uh, adapted screenplay and for best actor. Um, you know, and even looking outside, best patch, best picture, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom taking home two awards. We mentioned them there: costume design, makeup and hairstyling, and Soul also taking home two awards for uh, for best animated feature and best original score for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Um, any any highlights there from from those? film scott that all took home a pair of oscars that you want to you want to point to judas and the vines I, I already mentioned as well with two wins
1: yeah look i i think I'm, i don't know if i really have too much to add i mean besides the the sort of surprise mank victory for cinematography i like i didn't really understand why people were underwriting it so much like people seemed like really surprised that this would win like i thought the cinematography was really good i mean yeah, I feel like it's a well-known thing at this point that I'm not as big a fan of Mank as as you, especially, and a lot of other people. But like the cinematography was certainly not the thing I was going to be like, yeah, that's so lame. Can't believe that that this is getting nominated. No, I mean it wasn't. Didn't feel crazy to me. I certainly thought um, Land cinematography was gorgeous, and I probably would have voted for it over Mank. But uh, I don't. I just don't have any complaints about that. But I feel like people were complaining about that a lot. I, I will say I was listening to the Big Picture this morning. And Sean Finney was saying that the beautiful thing about Mank's Oscar one, specifically cinematography, is that it's gonna make that it's gonna make everyone who loves Mank love it even more and everyone who hates Mank hate it even more. Which is I feel like probably captures perfectly it,
0: because it now has more Oscars than Citizen Kane. We have to point that out as well. Yeah. Um,
1: well look so, later this year I'll be deciding which which movie is better.
0: So someone tweeted last night they were like, uh even though Mank has more Oscars, uh, you could argue that Citizen Kane is the better film of the <laughs> two. Which I just have,
1: thought you was could hilarious. indeed argue that.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, look, um, all I'm going to say is that you know Mank has more screenplay Oscars, or sorry, uh, Citizen Kane has more screenplay Oscars than Mank. So there you go. It does.
0: It's it like does, a, and you know, strictly like because I felt like Mank was the best, uh, but be, or the screenplay was the best part of Mank. But um, you know. It is what it is. Um, Yeah, no, I I think uh, it was nice to see the wealth getting spread. I I was definitely a fan of both of Sound of Metals wins, um, even though... I think, uh, you know, I might have given editing to the father, and it, it was close, right? Like, I, I, it was between these two. I, I, I was happy with either winning. Um, yeah, but I, think been, an upset, it, like, I, I think though, Eddie
1: wasn't upset, though. Call me out if I'm wrong there, but I think that, I mean, it, it didn't feel like that was I think was the Trial of Chicago editing,
0: 7 was favored which is film iname. editing. But um, <laughs> that Sound, yeah, no, certainly happy to see Sound of Metal win that, because, I mean, that that yeah. was such an integral part of the experience of watching that movie was... Um, the sound design. So yeah, that was kind of a no-brainer for for me, and I'm, I'm glad the Oscars followed suit there. Um, with the rest of the Best Picture nominees, Scott Minari getting the one win we mentioned for Best Supporting Actress, Promising Young Woman just one win for uh, Best uh, Original Screenplay for uh, Emerald Fennell.
1: This is um, actually what Soderbergh is doing. He wanted to bury Promising Young Woman as the first award and then never talk about it for the rest of the night.
0: I mean, I do respect that choice certainly, but. Yeah. Um, But yeah, beating out Aaron Sorkin in a little bit of a a slight upset. And in fact, you know, Aaron Sorkin getting beat out altogether because the only film that did not have a single Oscar win uh, from the Best Picture crop was The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is shocking, if I'm being honest, just because this was the most Oscar-baity film of all of them, uh, in my opinion. And it, it just, you know, kind of fell on its face in the end. And some of the early buzz, early wave that it was riding, maybe, at least in the screenplay, um you know category didn't pan out in the end and you know what i i quite enjoyed the movie but i'm fine with it because yeah. um you know it's far from aaron sorkin's best work and i think i would have been you know sort of frazzled if you know he he didn't win for something like a few good men or uh you know moneyball or Steve jobs um, but then he did win for the trial of the Chicago seven, which is just not one of his stronger screenplays by a long shot. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's the, the tough reality is that also like it was a Netflix movie. I mean, I know Paramount produced it and stuff, but like I have yet to see any evidence that being a Netflix movie helps you in these, in these awards shows, specifically the Oscars. I mean, yeah, look, it's, it's a tough fight out there. I don't think Netflix obviously had any real influence. And in, I mean, I think this is probably like the sixth or seventh best of the eight nominees for best picture. So I mean, like I'm not surprised or or taken aback by that overall. But I think the truth is, like if you're a Netflix movie, you almost are like you have like a point penalty to start out with an Oscar voting. It feels like um, happened with Roma, happened with Marriage Story, happened with The Irishman. The Irishman last year, drawn like I think that 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 fired blanks with zero Oscars last year. If I, unless I'm I right, yeah, yeah, which is crazy. I mean, look, I I'm not the biggest Irishman stand, but it's crazy that film didn't win any Oscars. Um, I mean, it's a good film in spite of all the jokes I make about it. But overall, look, I, I think Aaron Sorkin might – I mean, I know – well, we already know what his next project is, right? Is it with Netflix? I can't remember, but um, – It's that
0: uh, Luc- Lucille Ball and
1: uh, Desi. You
0: know, Ricky Ricardo. Yeah, De- Desi Arnaz movie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I just I just wonder, and of course this can change project- like This is a weird even thing to think, but like it just makes me wonder, if, like has Aaron Sorkin done his best, Scott? Like is Aaron Sorkin ever going to really get over the hump?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. More and more, especially after Trial of the Chicago 7, it seems like people have this image of him as like, yeah, the, the public image of him. I, I certainly I think it has plummeted and maybe the, the newsroom contributed to that a little bit. But I, I don't know. I mean, also the newsroom, like he followed that up with like, again, Moneyball, like Steve Jobs. Uh, Molly's game all of which were very you know critically acclaimed movies and sure. you know, the trial I mean of Chicago, Molly's
1: game's not Oscar yeah. bait but yeah
0: it it was it was Oscar bait it didn't, they didn't take the bait but wow. well, um fair enough yeah it 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 got good reviews and everything but yeah I don't know it, maybe he's he's getting to the point where like he doesn't have in these like political type you know movies which you know yeah. he he's made here with with um with the trial of the Chicago 7 obviously and you know what he made his name off of, really, was The West Wing. Um, I think maybe the times have sort of passed him by in terms of his co- the commentary, the ideology that he has to bring when it comes to talking about politics. But right when he does something like um, you know, like Moneyball, or like uh, you know, like The Social Network, or Steve Jobs, um, you know, he could still speak to the contemporary moment. Like he's shown that in all three of those movies, to to you know, to some extent. Um, yeah. So I, I think he just needs to cast his line in other waters um, than maybe the political sphere going forward, because I think people are, are definitely going to be a bit sniffy about his, um, you know, when, when he tries to, to comment on um, on politics. And, and a lot of that comes from, you know, just demographically that he's, um, you know, an older white guy. Um, I, I think that that, that uh, definitely spurs on some of the commentary and, uh, you know, when we're talking about Trial of the Chicago 7 specifically, right, where where race, I think, is, does come into the the story inevitably. Um, I think some of that also plays into why people are a little bit sniffy about, um, you know, whether he has something to say. I mean, I personally, West Wing is my favorite show of all time, and particularly the Sorkin seasons of West Wing. Um and I, I certainly, you know, still watch those shows and feel a little bit aspirational about them. But I recognize that there are plenty of people out there who, you know, turn their nose up at at, uh, at even the Sorkin seasons of The West Wing. And you know, again, the sort of both sides coming together, sort of ideology that, um, you know, that he was tr- that he was trumpeting at that time. I, I think, uh, no pun intended, Trump. Um, you know, has sort of made that almost impossible in today's day and age. And maybe that's why, um, you know, Sorkin's image has taken the hit that it has. But
1: Yeah, I also think the the reality is, is that, and I'll stand by this until he proves me wrong, but like, I just think that he's better off not directing his own films. Like, I think he needs to work with a director who can take his yeah. really powerful scripts that he has, you know, that he has the ability to write, that he has shown he has the ability ability to write for two decades you know, before this, three decades before this and refine that. I mean, it's, it's why it, it's, it's not a coincidence that the social network is like probably one of his best works. It's like not a coincidence yeah. that his best work happened before he started directing. Sure. I mean,
0: go down the list. Uh, David Fincher, Rob yeah. Reiner, uh, Danny Boyle, you know, he, he works Absolutely. with good directors. And, yeah.
1: And I, I think that they temper his um baser instincts, like so, like something happening at the end of the of Chicago seven, which You know, I think if you get another director in there that has I don't want to say has his wits about him, but like has a control of his craft, like he's probably not going to or she is not going to let that sort of like level of of idealistic grandstanding like happen at the end of your film. Not that I think that that like made or broke the film, but it's 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 those types of flourishes that a a director like Fincher, like Reiner, whoever, like name whoever you want, isn't going to let it happen um and makes that film marginally better and on the margins is exactly what matters for when you're playing for Oscar contention.
0: Yeah. Uh I think I think that's what there is to say there Scott. Um we've covered really really most of the awards um
1: Well you haven't talked about Tenet winning an Oscar. That's yeah, Tenet, Tenet
0: did take home the best visual effects which you know it was kind of a, a no-brainer again but uh you know Eleven Monsters is
1: making a surge.
0: I know you were happy, Scott, but um, but yeah, no, uh, it was it was an interesting telecast. I I did think the setting was kind of cool inside the uh, the train station inside Union Station. Yeah, I I thought thought that that was awesome.
1: Honestly, I liked it a lot.
0: That was cool. There were some, you know, sort of weird moments in the show, too, that I think we have to give some some uh, airtime to. I mean, obviously, number one, trivia night that Mamaw twerked mamaw twerk scott that was the yeah. thing that happened on the oscars um so i don't know if you you have anything to add to that
1: but. yeah i have i have so many thoughts about oscars trivia night with quest love um and i forget who the other presenter was who became like the de facto host in the second half of the show um i'm forgetting his name but he was also in get out uh but anyway um yeah like there's this whole segment that happened like two-thirds of the way through the show or whatever where eventually glenn close does twerk um but earlier on, and this is the funny thing, because I went back and rewatched this because I was like just trying to figure out what on earth Andre Day possibly could have said, where Steven Soderbergh and the Academy elite, if we want to call them that, felt it necessary to, uh, you know, cut her mic for the broadcast. And the only thing I came up with, and I think this is this was at least validated by the Big Picture Podcast and Sean Fennessy's perspective as well. Is that she must have just said something like really bad about the Oscars. Like <laughs> just like really, really awful. Um, and that's why they cut the mic, which I just find hilarious that the Oscars are censoring censoring that kind of commentary. I don't know if that's actually what was said. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me. And uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that she said that and it doesn't surprise S- me that they censored it either.
0: Soderbergh's a company man, you know, they gave him two nominations in one year, so he he that's had true. to uh, he had to pay them back. But
1: uh didn't get a win further yeah, than no, he.
0: That was weird. Uh, yeah, he did win for Traffic, I think. Um, oh, okay. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, it, it was that part was weird. I felt like some of the early stuff, and yeah, I, I think I'm with the majority on this, that I don't like necessarily how they did the presentation of the nominees um, with not really showing clips except in very strange choice moments and choice awards during that. Just in the
1: film category, so just like animated – like when a when yes. a film was nominated as a picture, like yeah. a performance or makeup and hair, etc. Cinematography yeah, got, again, got it you as know, well.
0: When we're talking about somebody like Daniel Kaluuya, you know, I want to see that scene. Like we got there eventually with the the best picture clip that they chose to show, but like I, you know, I want I want to relive that performance for for a few minutes there. I don't want to get this weird sort of thing. Of you want to get Dern,
1: Laura Dern's film criticism. Like,
0: <laughs> what, yeah reading some canned speech like and them just like weirdly making eye contact from like 25 feet away I, it just felt very strange
1: um look social I, distance I, you gotta be safe
0: yeah i said this when we were watching it but it felt like they were trying to do like a, a sag award type riff that i don't know if anyone's ever watched the sag awards but like when uh literally you know, they, no one they, has they,
1: ever watched the sag awards actually no one
0: yeah i mean they they do this thing on the sag awards where like in between awards and stuff they'll go to people in the audience and they'll tell these stories about like, you know, getting into their career uh, as an actor. And then at the end, they'll be like, my name is Sarah Jessica Parker and I'm an actor, uh, you know, and and it's just like a kind of a corny, but also sometimes like kind of cool thing just to hear these, you know, sort of stories from these people's lives. But it it felt like they tried to have this thing of like, oh, this will be cool. Like actors compl- complimenting other actors, right? Like. Uh, Laura Dern is, you know, up here complimenting everyone, um, and it just came off as a little awkward, forced, whatever you want to you want to call it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think they should they should go back to the clips uh, next year so we can really get the taste of the nominees. Scott, did you have any feelings about the uh, you know sort of lack of host? Once again, this is I think the third straight year that we've had no host at the Oscars. Um, I personally, uh, some, it seems like people are are kind of starting to get fed up with it a little bit. Um, I I don't have a problem with there not being a host. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I think my my thinking on that is, you know, it cuts out a lot of the filler in what is already a long show. But there still felt like there was a fair amount of filler in this show. Like you that know, ran twenty odd, minutes long. long. There was yeah. filler
1: in a show that ran twenty minutes long. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the whole Oscar's yeah. trivia thing, mammal twerking, all of that. Um, there were a couple of like little comedy bits and stuff, which I feel like get those out of the way at all the other award shows, right? Like also, that's not. Frank got the, like.
1: the humanitarian awards, they were so long. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, so I'm long. sorry. Like Tyler Perry, I'm so glad that you decided to feed a bunch of people to make up for your performance for being in the film Vice. But like, um, I don't think we really needed a and you know, to intervene in the Oscars to, to do this. Yeah. I think that's another good point. You know, like get all this stuff out of the way at that. The,
1: Governor's you ball. know.
0: The, right, not you know, not even just the previous award shows. You know, that's the, why they did the, the honorary Oscar the award early this year. dinner as well. Yeah, the Governors Ball. So just do it there. That's what they normally do. I feel like so.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, they, because they kicked the whatever the honorary award is. I always I always forget the name of this one because I always call it the Cecil B. DeMille. But that's at the Golden Globes. Um, but they they presented at the Governors <laughs> Ball. I don't understand why they don't do that for the humanitarian awards too. And then and the they sh-
0: race through the in memoriam, uh, which is exactly what I was
1: going to say. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather them cut. Down the time, of, like either cut the humanitarian awards and move them to the average ball or cut them down on time. And just like, I don't know, people don't care about the, I'm sorry, people just don't care about the humanitarian award. But and, like, people care about the in memoriam, especially this year. Yeah. And you know, they cut the
0: songs, the like the performances of the songs a couple of years ago so that they could be, so that there could be more brevity to the ceremony. So why are they now adding in all these other? Random stuff, which like yeah, I would rather see if we're if we're talking about the you know lesser of two evils here or whatever, I would much rather see the song performances than I would have seen any of the comedy bits or any of you know the the humanitarian stuff. I would agree with you honest. except
1: I hadn't heard any of the songs in the movies they were nominated for. I just uh, yeah I
0: mean I, I just mean in general, yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> but I mean, look overall, on some of your other points that you're talking about, I think that I really like the fact that they didn't cut people off on speeches. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, like I mentioned earlier on some people, like, frankly, their speeches sucked, but and they were long because <laughs> they weren't getting played off. But I like the. I, I will take that hit so you can have speeches like Daniel Kaluuya's and like Thomas Vinterberg's and, you know, any others that might have popped up here and there. I'm gravitating towards those two, but I'm sure there are others also that i found moving in and I'm willing to sacrifice that to get sort of those moments. Because uh, there's just no way that Daniel Clow ever would have gotten around to what he ended up saying at the end of his speech, um, if he was getting played off. So I, I'm okay with eating that bullet, but I mean, the humanitarian awards too much. I think that you're you're right. Like I, so to go to the host question, like I still like the host. Like I like I didn't have a problem with the way they framed the show with like Regina King walking in with the first ballot, things like that, walking up on stage and coming back from each break, and you have sort of this like very famous actor or actress pretty much, um being the host for that like you know 10 15 minutes of the show and i think that works fine the problem yeah. was and i think that what people are probably latching onto about this award show and why they might be getting fed up with it is because of these sort of interstitial segments that you're talking about like oscars trivia sure that like we got some laughs out of that but like there that was like there's no reason for that like honestly there's just no reason to have that in the show it doesn't need to happen um and i think that if you cut out those boring boring moments or unnecessary moments i think that that having no host and using your incredibly talented performers as your, you know, temporary hosts in each segment that works perfectly fine. It works perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, make, and th- make it about part.
0: the move, make it about the movies. There was also no, there were also no montages or anything like that this year in the Oscar
1: the commercial coverage. had it. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, Scott, you know, we're making a lot of complaints, but it was the Oscars. I enjoy watching the Oscars you know no matter and no, one no else matter what it. yeah um
1: 67 down this year
0: so at the end of the day it gets a positive review for me because it's the oscars and also you know the best movie won in my opinion the best movie won and uh, you know i haven't been able to say that in in quite a few years there aren't really any uh you know major awards that i have a, a huge problem with and, you know even last year it was such a great year for movies but you know joaquin phoenix and renee zellweger won the major acting awards um which were disappointments
1: yeah Um, and look you enjoyed logging it on letterboxd for a few hours before they took it down
0: i did yeah no uh, i mean that was that was bound to happen but you got to get your you got to get the lull you got to do it for the lulls you got to do it for the banter
1: Um, yeah the academy won't have it they i'm sure they slapped a lawsuit on letterboxd immediately to have that taken down they probably did
0: um all right well scott i think that that should just about do it for our discussion of um the 2021 oscars i've been saying this for a couple weeks now but now i think we well and truly can turn our eyes fully to 2021 and the movies of 2021 i think uh we have we've put 2020 to rest finally um and yeah I, i don't know that there's anything more to say there the, the oscars um,
1: certainly put 2020 to rest last night when they didn't give the award to shadow the yeah the they, they did they did <laughs> um,
0: but we will have more to say after the break uh when we talk about a couple of news stories some casting news that was announced this week uh which uh you know caught both of our eyes we'll get to that uh in just a minute but stay tuned back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, a couple of news stories to hit here before we we conclude. Uh, I'll throw it over to you first. Uh, You wanted to talk about um, some news. You know, we talked about The Father, uh, obviously, winning two Academy Awards, getting the big moment of the night with Anthony Hopkins winning for Best Actor. And we've already learned what uh, the director and the man who wrote the play that The Father was adapted from, um, Florian Zeller, is going to be doing for his next project. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so now Oscar winner Florian Zeller we, uh, is going to be adapting another of his own plays, I guess fittingly titled The Son, you know, going from the father to the son. And probably the even more eye-catching part of this is that he's not the only Oscar winner he's going to be working on this project. He also has Oscar nominee Hugh Jackman uh, to work with in what in the male lead role for the film and Laura Dern, Oscar winner, absolute legend. And, uh, you know, even though she didn't give her best performance last night at the Oscars necessarily when she was presenting her awards, uh, I'm certainly excited to see what she can do. And given the fact that I think Florian Zeller has already proven that he can adapt his own play really af- in a way that is really effective uh, to the big screen and really able to take advantage of incredible, perf- incredible performances from incredible actors. I'm really excited because I think Hugh Jackman did one of the best performances of his career last year in the HBO film. Bad Education, you know, Laura Dern, certainly on a hot streak, I think, for a lot of the work she's been doing, sort of culminating most recently in her performance of Marriage Story, which I thought was absolutely incredible. Um, I think this is a combination, a trio, that could really make something that, you know, if it lands certainly anywhere close to how the father did, we're going to be talking about it again whenever it does come out.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think you you hit hit it on the head there that uh, what Florian Zeller, I think what he was able to do so well with the father was... Um, You know, take that theatricality, that actor focused, you know, nature of stage play adaptations. You know, when you see a stage play adaptation, you expect to see performances, you know, amazing performances because so much of the movie is, you know, requires the actors to be operating at a high level because there's not much else going on uh, behind the scenes because, you know, it's it's a stage play. But I think he was able to get those types of performances while also using the medium of film in an inventive way to, you know, maybe even amplify um, the the themes and ideas in his play. So I think that's, uh, that's really impressive to see for a first time director. And um, yeah, so uh, of course, I'm, I'm interested to see what uh, his next project is going to be. And he's got good names attached. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you uh, I think I'll be ready for this one when, when it comes about, um, you know, whether it has anything to do with the father or not, uh, you know, with with that title, like you said, the son, uh, I, I suspect it won't, but it is uh, kind of interesting symmetry there.
1: Yeah, I don't think it does, but uh, look, we'll see when we find out. I wonder, um, it, it's really curious, right? Like Florian Zeller, it was his first film that he'd done, right? It's a, I don't think that he'd even done any sort of screenwriting uh, for the film industry. And the fact that on his first film, he worked with Olivia Coleman. Anthony Hopkins. I mean, something about the guy. He must be able to give a pitch.
0: Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I want to say that, no, maybe I don't think either one of them was actually in the play at any point, but um, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, either way. Yeah. Like, like you said, he's able to, to attract some good names. And that's always nice to see from a a first time director um, who doesn't have any sort of, you know, pedigree or nepotism or anything like that, that, how they can get those connections. But um, Scott, the story I wanted to point, uh, point us to is also involves some casting news. Um, and we are going to be getting a new adaptation of Jane Austen's Persuasion coming to the big screen. Uh, this is going to be a Netflix film. Uh, and we have our actress who has been tapped to star in this uh, adaptation, and that is Dakota Johnson. Um, Another a rising star, someone who I think I I enjoy more as an actress in each movie that I see her in. Um, you know, recently with stuff like Bad Times at the El Royale and the High Note and the Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, you know, I think she's she's picking really good projects for herself, and obviously she has some other films that we've talked about. Uh, I feel like she's tapped for like five things right now. Yeah, it's crazy. But I love a good period piece. It seems like you know we're having. We're having maybe a slight comeback uh, with, with them in, in some regard. You know, you know, Little Women obviously was a big, big one uh, a couple of years ago. Emma this year was a movie that a lot of people liked with Anya Taylor-Joy. Mary um, Queen of Scots from a few years a, back. A Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah. Persuasion is not uh, a Jane Austen novel that I'm too familiar with either. Um, you know, certainly I, I know, you know, Pride and Prejudice Sense and Sensibility, Emma, but this is one that uh, I'm not as familiar with. So I'm, I'm interested in this project um, on that level as well. We don't really have anyone else attached to this at this point, um, I, don't, I don't think. Actually, no, I think there is a director and, uh, and screenwriter maybe for this, but uh, they were not names that, that I was familiar with. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see sort of what type of spin they try to do on it. You know, Do they do a more, straight lace like Little Women, right, which is, you know, very straightforward period adaptation. Emma, I feel like, was slightly more inventive, maybe, like, uh, just the aesthetics of the movie, the bright color palettes and the costumes and the sort of quirky sense of humor about it, I feel like were a little bit more of a spin on the, you know, traditional sort of stuffy period piece, maybe. Um, but, uh, you know, no word yet on on what this Persuasion adaptation is going to be. But, I'm perfectly fine when they stick to the, the by the book adaptations. I think. No, I, I, I it think I
1: no. I'm almost positive it's supposed to be a modern adaptation.
0: OK, well, either either way, uh, you know, I, I am a little bit more skeptical of that because I think, you know, things can can get uh, a little messy when you try to do that. But uh, there are obviously some, some great examples, right? Like even in the Jane Austen realm, Clueless, right, is, is obviously a, an adaptation of Emma uh, and, a, and a modern one at the time that it was released. Um, and that's one of my favorite movies. So uh, yeah, no, there, there's still reason to, to be optimistic. Certainly uh, also with a name like Dakota Johnson attached.
1: Yeah. And it's being directed by first time director, uh, Carrie Cracknell, who's more known for her theater work.
0: Right. Right. I, I, I did read that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But modern and witty is supposed to be the adaptation, which sounds like Emma, to be honest, but if it's going to be modern, See that's why it, it I don't. I don't know be, if they it know it's going to be modern. I don't know what they mean when they say it's going to be modern. Is it going to be like a modern period take, of like yeah, something like I mean, Richardson or Emma, or is it going to well, be like? I, a, I was like going to say that
0: was Emma. That was Emma, right? Because it was modern, but like it was still set in the same time period. Of, right. But is this going to
1: be like I don't know, like what's the Macbeth by Ethan Hawke? Is this, this going to be Baz
0: Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet? Right. Like, or is it going right. to be?
1: Yeah. That's still a period like, piece, though. Isn't that still set in the like twenties?
0: I don't think so. Oh
1: there's like flappers all over that place. Is it really not? Okay.
0: There's people using like machine guns in the movie. I don't think they like have
1: 20s, machine guns in the 20s, guy.
0: I'm not sure about the, the guns that they have in this movie. But anyway. Um <laughs> They have like these
1: giant aquariums.
0: Anyway, well we we're not we're not gonna litigate. They had rap year.
1: music. That was the one part that definitely wasn't. They did, yeah, they did.
0: They and they had they had like psychedelic drugs. Remember mercutio was doing like LSD and stuff like that before. Oh, you're talking about
1: Romeo and Juliet. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I thought, yeah. You, I thought you were talking about Great gatsby I, that No, Great
0: Gatsby is absolutely set in the in the twenties. Yeah, no,
1: you're right. Um, yeah, yeah no, that, you're, that you're Romeo right and Juliet was definitely modern. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. Um sorry, Romeo plus Juliet.
1: Yeah, sorry. Uh, I'll go kill myself. Anyway, I I can't believe
0: you made me doubt myself there. (laughs) Um, On that note, Scott, uh, I I think we can uh, wrap up this episode. uh, Where can our listeners find you on Twitter?
1: At shelton 2013 Uh,
0: And yeah, once again, just congratulations on uh, the Boston era of the podcast. The next time we hear you, you'll be coming to us from the Big Apple.
1: Yeah, let's pray to God that it's not too loud outside with the cars honking. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah congratulations on that uh i i look forward to the next 140 and beyond uh with you and your uh your new york flat um but you can find me on twitter in a british, Scar-
1: accent, no <laughs> my, yeah. my a british accent no less yeah new york flat in a british accent i'll work on that for next week
0: that's right that's right uh you can find me on twitter at scarby dent on letterboxd the same um and don't forget to check out our podcast as well uh, Media Plug Pods uh, on Patreon, Patreon.com/mediaplugpods. Um, you can, of course, uh, support us over there. But even if you can't, like, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. Um, and we hope uh, you will join us for our next episode on some of some like it Scott, on which we will be reviewing the new Tom Clancy adaptation, Without Remorse, starring Michael B. Jordan. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.